Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of CM Memes. I don't have a clear plan for what I want to talk about this time, but I would like to start with a tweet that I read two days ago. This person has a very long Twitter name, which is your everyday anti-physicalist atheist. He writes, anyone here who thinks the self, i.e. the experiencer, is an illusion? Is it logically coherent to argue that experiences can exist with no experiencer, no self? Personally, I think denial of self is insane, but what do I know? End quote. I found this tweet quite interesting because I noticed that people have different opinions on the role of the self, yeah? including some of my favorite fellows who otherwise have a worldview rather similar to mine. So, for example, a few weeks ago, I had a face-to-face -face discussion with a good friend of mine, who is also a theoretical physicist with strong idealist tendencies. And in his opinion, the self is extremely important, maybe the most essential process in consciousness. And he thinks it's also always present in our perception. He said, when I wake up in the morning, The first thing I notice is, here I am again. Well, to this I replied that usually I don't remember my first experience after waking up. But over the day, my experience is typically not so self-directed. Yeah? A significant fraction of my experiences are kind of impersonal. Yeah? Not related to myself and often also neutral in value. In particular, I have observed, by introspection of course, that perception usually starts in this impersonal and neutral way, maybe for the first few tenths of a second, and only a little later we start to relate the incoming sense impressions to our personal life story. Yeah? And then we also evaluate it. And if we are not mindful, we may immediately start to act on it. You can try this out by yourself. Just sit down at a place where lots of sounds are going on. Yeah, it may be sounds of cars and people in a city or the song of birds in nature. Just sit down and imagine you are a tape machine, a tape recorder that simply records the totality of all sounds. Yeah, linearly, without focusing on any specific sub-sound, without analyzing or thinking, yeah, without creating an echo of any kind. Yeah? Don't carry any information from the past over to the present moment, because then you will surely miss part of what is going on in the present moment. Or you will at least distort it. So try to stay at the very front of the train, so to say, yeah? bent down over the locomotive and look straight down onto the rail. Yeah? I, I guarantee you that if you do this exercise correctly, which is extremely stressful, by the way, you will not relate the sounds you hear to yourself, simply because this relating process takes a certain time in your brain. And you don't have that much time 
if your focus remains always on the present split of a second. If this exercise is too stressful for you, an easier way to experience this selfless type of perception is listening to music. But I mean deep listening, yeah, without any mind wandering in between. Maybe I have a slightly deeper relation to music than the average person, because I'm a musician and jazz lover for so many years. But while I listen to music or while I am playing piano, I am not aware of myself for extended periods of time. Okay, let me give you another example of selfless perception. The final one, I promise. A few years ago, I was in my fitness club running on a treadmill. And around me were other treadmills with running people. I was listening to an audio version of Shinzen Yang's book, The Science of Enlightenment. And in the section I was listening to, he recommended a quite funny exercise. To analyze the stream of perceptions only with respect to one criterion, self or not self. So if you see a tree or another person, this is not self. <laughs> But if you look down at your body, that's you. Or if you have suddenly a pain in your stomach or if you think about your next meal, this would belong to the self category, at least conventionally. Anyway, I was doing this exercise while running quite fast on my treadmill. And naturally, my attention was mainly captured by other people running around me and also by people training in different ways. So I was looking around into different directions and labeled all these guys and girls with not self, not self, not self. And at some point, I became aware of the sensation of running on a treadmill, but this time felt from inside a body. And I followed the sensation for maybe a few seconds with quite an interest and detachment, which was easy because it was a rather intense sensation. But suddenly I realized, wow, this is me running. <laughs> so this really came as a great surprise for me. And I had to concentrate not to stumble from this little shock. Yeah? And the shocking thing was not that I felt myself running, but that for a few seconds I had I had witnessed somebody running from inside a body without realizing that this was me. Yeah, so this is what I mean with selfless perception. Okay, let me come back to the Twitter question from the beginning of this episode. Is it logically coherent to argue that experiences can exist with no experiencer, no self? Well, considering these examples of selfless perceptions, which I have just mentioned, I think the subjective answer to the question is yes. Moreover, 
we can be so absorbed in what we do and perceive, we can be so in a state of flow that we simply forget ourselves for a while. Yeah? During such a period, at least subjectively, there is simply acting and perceiving without an explicit actor and perceiver. But, you may argue, that just because we are sometimes not aware of an experiencer, this does not mean that no experiencer is actually there in the background, right? Okay, so let me try to answer the Twitter question a little bit more seriously from two perspectives, from the viewpoints of materialism and idealism. The materialist or physicalist cannot really answer the question because experience is not part of the physical world. When modern physical science was born, it somehow decided to focus only on the properties of objective matter and to ignore subjective experience. So the question is outside of the scope of physics. However, the physicalist could study the outer appearance of a person who has different types of experiences. Maybe each experience has a complete physical correlate in the brain and maybe even the feeling of self has such a physical correlate in terms of neural activity patterns. So for the sake of the argument, let's assume that there exists a universal translation table between human experience and human brain activity, which I doubt, but anyway. So let's assume the same translation table is valid for all individuals. Then the physicalist could find out, in principle, whether there are also selfless perceptions, as I have claimed. And the physicalist can try to understand perception not only by analysis, but also by actively constructing machines that process information similar to humans. Yeah? Say we build a very advanced robot with sensors similar to human sense organs, and let's say the robot has a next-generation AI brain that even has a self-model. Yeah? Let it also have a memory of its own past actions and how the environment reacted, yeah, a personal history, if you want. And let it also have built-in goals, such as survival as the prime goal, maybe. Okay, such a robot would, at a certain level of refinement, make a human believe it actually has experiences, as, for example, in a Turing test. But this would not really prove anything, because... Humans are extremely easy tricked to assume an inner life in a machine whenever this machine produces some vaguely intelligent language and when it uses emotional words here and there. Yeah? And this is the famous ELISA effect. Yeah? Even a stupid chatbot with minimal intelligence can produce impressive sentences. Yeah? But in such cases... We should not be amazed at the chatbot, but at the human who can make some sense even of random sentences, yeah, as long as they are grammatically correct. Yeah, we humans even see patterns in the random blobs of a Rorschach test. So 
for me, a robot with self-model and life history and so on is just doing information processing, computation. Yeah? Information processing that maybe leads to actions which mimic some aspects of human behavior when observed from the outside. But that does not mean that there are experiences behind these physical calculations. On the other hand, I also don't know if some of the humans around me are zombies or not. So, unfortunately, we do not have a way at present to probe the inner life of another person or life form. Yeah? The only convincing way, in my opinion, would be a kind of temporal mind merging with the other person, yeah? like Spock did in Star Trek, or a very advanced form of telepathy. Okay, you see, the physicalist could not answer the Twitter question in a completely satisfactory way, because science is restricted to the outside appearance of things. But at least he or she could do a lot of interesting stuff. Now, what can an idealist say about the possibility of selfless perception? Now, let's look at some specific form of non-materialistic philosophy. For example, the analytic idealism of Bernardo Kastrup. There, the assumption is that consciousness is the only fundamental substrate of the universe and that all whatever happens are different states of this universal field of mentation, yeah? which is often called mind at large. Okay, maybe I should not have used the word field in this context, because mind at large is probably non-spatial and non-temporal. But, you know, for some materialists, it's easier to imagine mind at large as something like classical space-time, yeah? the arena in which all happens. So anyway, in analytic idealism, matter does not have an independent existence. Matter is just how certain states of mind at large appear to the human mind on the screen of perception. Now, in this philosophy, a human mind and the corresponding personal self is something that forms out of mind at large in a process of partial dissociation. Yeah? Bernardo Kastrup has used here the metaphor of a localized whirlpool that forms within a larger mass of water, yeah? let's say in an ocean. So to other human minds, this process of whirlpool formation looks like the biological birth and growth of a new human being. Yeah? Inside the whirlpool, If we stay for a second with this metaphor, inside the whirlpool, the water is continuously circling around its own center. Yeah? And it is exactly this self-centered motion which keeps the whirlpool alive as an individual. Yeah? For other human beings, this ongoing process looks like biological metabolism in the body and like self-preserving thoughts and emotions in the mind. Okay, 
let's stay even a little bit longer with this whirlpool metaphor because it allows us to think about this possibility of selfless perception. So in the metaphor, perception is the process where water from the surrounding ocean, which is standing here for aspects of extra-personal reality, this water is entering the whirlpool from the outside. Yeah? I imagine that the whirlpool has an outer boundary zone where the water is circling less rapidly around the center. Yeah? As we move to the inside, the circulation speed and so the self-centeredness become more pronounced, but at the outer border, the water motion is less disturbed by this whirlpool activity. Yeah? So it represents a little bit more closely what is really out there. I hope you get what, I, what I'm thinking here. So this water in the outer region of the whirlpool is kind of less filtered. Yeah? It's less tainted with our personal beliefs and models of the world. Yeah? And if we manage to bring our attention to this outer border zone of our mind, we can have a little bit more selfless perception of reality. Practically, this shift of attention to the outer border of our mind can happen by certain types of meditation or by focusing on some ongoing and captivating stream of events in the presence, such as music, or by staying in the so-called flow state, or maybe also during dreaming. Yeah? Of course, the ultimate way of getting rid of the self will be our death, where the whirlpool dissolves into the larger ocean surrounding it. So, you see, from the idealist viewpoint, we can give some metaphorical answer to this Twitter question. And the answer is somehow more poetical and beautiful than the materialistic one, because it is expressed in a more vague and metaphorical language. But I have to be honest here, I am badly missing the rigor of theoretical physics in present forms of idealism. Yeah, I, I am missing the possibility to set up detailed mathematical models of what is going on in consciousness and to check them against hard data, if possible. Yeah. Of course, even as idealists, we can continue to do science, including the neurosciences. We have only to be aware that the objects of our study, for example, the neurons that we investigate in the brain, those are only icons on our screens of perception. And we have no idea what really causes these material biological structures to appear in our human mind and what makes them behave according to the rules we find. Yeah? I personally find this state of affairs not very satisfactory. Yeah? I'm dreaming of a fundamentally new approach which somehow goes beyond both materialism and idealism. Yeah? I don't know at present if this is even possible, but this topic remains an, an ongoing project in my life. Yeah? 
I will keep you updated about any new ideas in future episodes of the podcast. I had also a more recent telephone conversation with the same idealist physicist friend whom I mentioned in the beginning of this episode. And in this follow-up conversation, I realized that he is actually right when he considers the self as an extremely important process in consciousness. Yeah? Our habit to relate all incoming sense data to our personal well-being and survival Yeah. This selfication process corresponds precisely to the rotation of the whirlpool. And this is what keeps it, and therefore us, in existence. Yeah? The self is the imaginary center of the whirlpool, which most of our thinking is about. And due to the rotation, the water, meaning mental content, is also staying bound for a relatively long time within the whirlpool. So the system can keep the memories of our lifetime and combine it with the fresh water coming in from the outside, so to say. Yeah? If the rotation of the whirlpool would become too weak, then all kinds of perceptions and ideas would drift in and out of the whirlpool without being incorporated into our personal life story. Yeah? And then these free-floating mental events would probably have no meaning, no significance. Who knows, maybe there are even some people who are suffering from such a condition. But I personally don't know anything about mental disorders. Anyway... When I had this follow-up conversation with my friend, it occurred to me that modern neuroscience is actually coming to similar conclusions about how brains are incorporating raw external sense data into an ongoing information processing dynamics, you know, which is constantly running in recurrent neural networks, just like the water is running around in our whirlpool metaphor. So within this huge landscape of neuroscience models, I am particularly fond of the so-called predictive processing model. So this is also called the free energy principle, but I find this term not so helpful. And it has become quite popular recently, but maybe not all of my listeners are familiar with it. So let me give you a very brief outline here. The basic idea is that the brain is processing information in a hierarchical way and the easiest way to describe this is by using a simple model of stacked neural layers, yeah, even though the brain does not have such a simple structure. Yeah. So 
Imagine a stack of information processing layers where each layer is mainly communicating with the two layers below and above it. Yeah? The lowest layer is closest to the raw sense data and therefore very concrete. Like the spatial distribution of activation across the retina of our eyes, yeah? which can be viewed as an array of pixels. And the next higher levels represent already partially processed information, which is therefore becoming increasingly abstract. Yeah? So the elementary components of these higher levels are no longer individual pixels, but for example, line segments. And the next layers may represent complete geometric figures, like closed polygons or something, from which even more complex structures can be built. Yeah? So even higher layers may already represent a configuration of well-known objects in space, like desks and chairs and plants and so on. And towards the top of the hierarchy, we have, for example, a representation of the entire momentary life situation. Yeah? Like, I'm presently recording a podcast episode and I should come to the point now. So when people started to think about information processing in such stacked layers, they assumed that the information is simply streaming from the lower layers towards the higher ones, so a one-directional stream of data from bottom to top. But the new view is that there is simultaneously an ongoing information flux from the top to the bottom, which represents expectations of the brain or predictions. So, for example, if the top-level model of my current life situation believes that I am currently recording a podcast, then there should be some kind of suitable recording device somewhere in the list of things that are present in my close vicinity, right? So the top-level layer in my brain can send prediction signals to the lower layers, which say, I expect there to be a recording device. And the layer which receives this prediction, which is responsible for <laughs> keeping a list of all objects present in the close vicinity of my body, this layer can now check if this prediction is compatible with what this layer believes to be true, right? So it updates continuously its own beliefs by sending prediction signals to even lower layers of the hierarchy and so on, yeah? until the predictions can be directly compared to the raw sense data. And if a given layer can confirm the prediction from the higher layers, nothing needs to be done and the higher layers don't need to update their beliefs. But if the prediction cannot be confirmed, the layer where this mismatch happens is sending an error signal to the higher layers. And then the higher layers have to struggle and try to come up with some new model of the world until there is no more mismatch in the system. Now, the important point is that what propagates from the bottom to the top of the hierarchy 
is not sense data, but only some occasional error signals. So in each moment, our brain represents in some hierarchical way its present model of the surrounding world. Okay, and this is presumably also what ends up in our consciousness. What we see is not the world out there, but our brain's simplified and abstracted model of the world. Yeah, and this model can only perceive the world in terms of predefined object classes and in terms of predefined rules of object behavior, which we have acquired over our lifetime of learning, right? And everything out there, which does not fit at all into our concept of possible world states, is probably not appearing at all in our consciousness, or it is somehow represented as the closest possible situation that can still be conceived. Now, it happens that each of us has developed a world model in which there is always this very special human being present called the me or the self. And the world is always modeled in relation to this super important human being. Yeah? It is the center of our private universe, so to say. At least at the highest levels of the modeling hierarchy. But if we can somehow direct our conscious awareness towards the lower levels of the processing hierarchy, then there the self may not yet be a part of these layers, which are still relatively close to the actual raw sense data. Yeah? So I think these lowest layers of the information processing hierarchy in the predictive brain model correspond to the outer boundary zone of the whirlpool metaphor. This is an example where philosophical thinking that starts from an idealist viewpoint is to some extent converging with modern research concepts in neuroscience. And maybe you will agree that in this specific example there is no big tension between idealist philosophy and materialist science, they, they do not clash here. In contrast to other cases where scientists are driving me crazy when they still try to explain consciousness in terms of physical processes. I think the predictive brain model has the advantage that it is purely about information processing. It is not about any specific physical or technological or biological system that implements this information processing. Yeah? It also makes no claims that it explains consciousness, but it can be related to processes in consciousness if we, at least provisionally, accept that there is some translation table between information patterns and conscious experiences. So, I'm not sure, but sometimes it seems to me that the notion of pure information might be a very useful common ground for both idealists and physicalists. Yeah, information is independent from matter, but it can be stored and transmitted and 
processed using different configurations of physical matter. And then this information is somehow rendered in consciousness. Can information somehow be seen as the link between the inner world of subjective consciousness and the outer world of objective data? I don't know the answer, but I can't stop thinking about it.